Well, good morning, everyone. All men, hats off before the Lord as we teach. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always a delight to see godly men doing the godly thing in the house of God. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm excited to be teaching, period. doesn't matter what word of the Bible I'm teaching, I'm excited to do it because every word in this Bible is life and power and godliness, amen? Everything, everything. But I'm especially excited to go back into Genesis and hopefully by the revelation and ministry of the Holy Spirit, not because I know something or not because I've had some experiences or read things, but simply by the power of God, that the Holy Spirit will be revealing information, knowledge to us that we've not considered before. And then in doing so, and here's the primary purpose and underpinnings of any study of the Word of God, that in doing this, we are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Word, the Spirit of God, who takes that Word and causes it to become a living vitality in each one of us. Now, let me just say a couple of words in passing that have nothing to do specifically with this study, and so this doesn't count for the class this morning. I can't refer to my own life as being very mature or not mature. I, I can't judge that. But what concerns me is this. When I see members of the church, the body of Christ, not necessarily Lakeview Christian Center First Baptist, but the body of Christ, who have been saved for a period of time and who should be much further along in their walk in maturity and understanding and ministry in the Holy Spirit, much further along in dealing with the issues of temptation and sin in me and in relating to others in a way that facilitates and accentuates the glory of God as we are a community together reflecting the community that is within God himself and when I look at my own life and the life of others there are, I think several very basic reasons why we are not maturing as we need to and as the Holy Spirit wants us to. And of primary significance in this is not that we haven't heard the word or maybe not even reading the word, and hopefully that's not a weakness among us. Hopefully we are all reading and studying the word sufficiently. But it's that activity of God's Spirit that we are either lacking or not pursuing enough to recognize and to desire his personal involvement in my life, in your life as we study. Not only giving us revelation, but simply living a life that is more and more in tune to and sensitive to the leading and the voice and the activity of God's Spirit in me. And so hopefully as a result of this study and any study, Sunday morning, Sunday schools, whatever Bible studies, whatever preachings, 
we are becoming a people of much greater maturity because that's what God wants. So hopefully because of Genesis, we're going to see areas of our lives blossom as God plants into the soil of our souls life that hasn't been germinated in those areas because of lack of knowledge of the word and because of lack of commitment to the word and because of lack of surrender to the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Father, we don't ask you to be here because Jesus said he's right here. And we know you are here by your spirit. So, Father, we begin this morning first by thanking you and acknowledge, acknowledging that you are here in our midst, not just here in a general kind of a cosmic, atmospheric way, but you are here personally for each one of us, as if even if no one was in this room except one person, you would still be here. And Father, you were here to minister, to do anything and everything necessary to continue this great work of conforming us into the image of your dear Son. So Father, we begin by acknowledging and we begin by thanking you by your Spirit. And Father, we're not going to ask you to teach us. We're going to say we are here to be taught because the Spirit of God teaches. And so open our hearts, open our minds. Father, cause us to be that rich fourth soil which Jesus talked about, which brought about a 30, a 60, and even a hundredfold. Father, we want to be that people in whom your spirit so lives and so has such freedom and does such a work in us that merely walking down the street, merely sitting in a place without saying anything or without having any external issues such as a Bible in our hand or whatever, that people would know there is a man, there is a woman who knows God. Father, we want to be that kind of people. So wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we do, your presence and your power is so significant, so strongly aromaring you that the world may know that in fact you are and that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Father, use us, mature us, cause our lives to be so much more effective by your gospel. We ask it for the honoring and the vindication of your great name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, this morning, as I said, we begin a study in Genesis some of you may be wondering, why study Genesis? And especially why, if we're going to study Genesis, why not do all the, how many chapters in Genesis? 50. Why not do all the 50 chapters? Why just study the first 11 chapters? Well, 
don't believe the story that we're studying Genesis just because I happen to be there real early in the time frame. That may be true, but I think there's some other reasons why studying Genesis. Why study Genesis? Well, the answer to why study Genesis is really a question that has to do with a much deeper answer, a question. And the answer to that question is, why study the Word of God at all? Just why study it? And when I say study, I don't mean just having as our morning or afternoon or evening devotions, reading the Word. I think that's great and excellent. But what I mean is, is getting into the Word a little more than just reading a chapter or reading a paragraph or reading whatever it is that we're doing. And by the way, let me strongly, as much as I can, and if I were a school teacher and you were the class, I would say this will be on a test next week, period. No equivocation about that. Let me encourage you, during the next many weeks of this study, and I don't know how long we're going to go. I'm not going to put a time frame on it because I want to be free this time just to take my time and do as the Lord leads. I want to encourage you strongly. Each week before you come back, have read the chapter that we're going to get into. And not only have read it, but then in a notebook, outline it. You know, write it in summary form. Not in 48 pages where the Bible only took one page, <laughs> but in summary form. And then either leave it in a notebook or transfer it to your computer, however you do that, but put it down on paper or electronically. Because what that's going to do, that's going to help you to, not only in your understanding of the Word of God in general, in whatever you study, but at least be, I think, and I know, much more prepared for what we'll be talking about in here, beginning next week. So next week we'll start with chapter 1 of Genesis. Chapter 1 is chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 3. That's chapter 1 of Genesis, and you'll see what we're talking about. Whoever made the chapter distinctions, I think, missed it on this point pretty well understood chapter 1 of Genesis begins in verse 1 of chapter 1 and ends at verse 3 in chapter 2 that is chapter 1 and that's what we'll be talking about beginning next week but today we we'll want to talk about some other things first why study the Bible well first and primarily and really the only reason to study the Bible is because of what it is in itself you see the Word of God is God's personal communication and communion with us so often we think of the Word of God as God speaking to us and yes obviously that's the critical point but in speaking to one another have we come to realize that as we converse verbally there is a communing together have, have some of us seen this in fact how many of you wives feel and you may not have to raise your hand on this you may not want to but although you and your husband actually share words together and i think this would be much more of a wife consideration than a man consideration you sometimes feel a lack of communion with your husband oh you're talking a lot but is there communion is there the joining of two together in mind and heart and soul and affection and feelings and purpose do you feel that and so the Word of God is much more than just God saying stuff and a bunch of words to us it is through the avenue of this 
word, this verbiage that God joins us to himself and brings us into his own community so that we can personally be experiencing who he is. We can be feeling who he is. We can be understanding who he is. We can be experiencing God on a very deep level. In fact, a level deeper than any other level of any other kind of communication or fellowship of any type in all the world. This is what the Word of God is all about. So when we say study the Word and know the Word, we're not only just saying get a knowledge of facts and activities. That certainly is very important and instrumental and central. But in that collection of information, let's do it for the purpose of knowing our God the way he desires to be known. Let's make sure that the Word of God and our relationship to it is a much deeper thing than just a mechanical reading and going through a scope of one chapter, two chapters, and three chapters. And I'm not critical of that. I, I study. I read that way. But let's not make it just a mechanical thing. I read my 20 chapters today. I did my morning reading. I did my evening reading. And I'm moving on to other things. The question is, when you did that, what of God did you learn? What of God did you experience? What of God has been molded into you and is transforming you? That's more important. And even if you have to read just one verse and God communicates himself, that is sufficient. So it's the knowing God. You see, in the word of God, he not only reveals himself and his purpose to us, he reveals us to ourselves. We cannot know ourselves truthfully unless we know the word of God. We will always be deceived by the enemy and by the world that says we're not that bad. Compare yourself to somebody else. We're okay. We're, everybody's going to get to the same end. It doesn't matter how you get there. We're all good, and it's all fine, and it just... The Word of God is the only literature, the only source in all humanity which gives us the truth about ourselves. The truth from whose perspective? There is only one truth, and that is the truth of who God is and the truth of what God says about us. That is the perspective of the Bible, and we only get that from the Word of God. So if you want to know more about yourself, you want to know more about your wife, your mom and them, about somebody else, read the Word for greater understanding. Because that's where it all is. You see, without the word of God, we have no hope to know him. Listen to this word in 1 Corinthians 1.21. Paul is writing to the sophisticants, to the wise people of Corinth, to the Greeks who took so much pride in what they knew and their philosophy and their understanding of what they thought was understanding of life and their wisdom. And here's what Paul says to these people. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, it ain't through the wisdom of man and it isn't through the study and the science and the technology of man that we know God. It pleased God through the folly, the foolishness, the stupidity, the goofiness of what we preach. That's the word of God, the gospel, to save those who believe. You want to know God? Get in your word. You want to know yourself? Get in your word. You want to know why the circumstances? Get in your word. 
You want to know what to do about the circumstances? Get in your word. You want to know what kind of life you should live? Get in your word. You want to know what kind of job you should have? Get in your word. You want to know about your children's future? Get in your word. Get in the word of God. Oh, that we as a church would be, I hear a lot of busyness about, talk about busyness here. There is no such thing in my humble, small, inferior mind, there's no such thing as being too busy to pursue God. There's no such thing. And if you're too busy to pursue God, you are busy in the wrong things. If you're too busy to pursue God, you are busy not in the business of God, but in the business of flesh and the world. And I don't care who says what to the contrary, I believe I stand firm on this. You are wrong. Because God has created us never to be too busy to know him, to have fellowship with him, and to be about his business. So let's not be too busy. And if we are, we're too busy in the wrong things. We're not busy enough in the business of God. You see, only in the Word is man's most pressing question answered. What is the most pressing question in your life? If I were to ask you, what is the most significant thing that you want to ask? What is the most important thing of your life? What is it? And I've written it this way. <clears throat> and you can phrase it a couple of different ways. How can we who are unrighteous become righteous before a righteous God in order to have eternal life? There is no more significant question for your life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your circumstances, who you are, why you are, where you are, what you're going to be doing, anything else about you and your mom and them or your family, your business or anything else. The most significant question is, <clears throat> what about me and God? What about me and God? Typically you say God and me, but we're from New Orleans, so we say me and God first. John 17, 3, Jesus praying. Here's Jesus' prayer, the last recorded prayer of Jesus before he goes into Gethsemane. He prays this in, in John 17, and he's talking about, you know, doing God's will, glorifying God. And he says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they, who, we, that they may know you, the only true God. You hear Deuteronomy 6, 4 there. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the substance and meaning and purpose of our lives. And the truth of this and the reality of this and the how of this and the process of this is revealed to us only by the Holy Spirit and only by as he places the word in our hearts. So the word of God is the only place where we are shown how to have eternal life as a fulfillment of God's purpose in creating us. And this revelation of God himself and of everything else, where does it begin? What book? Genesis. So why study Genesis? <clears throat> why? Because Genesis is the word of God. I, it, I don't have to give you any other reason. I don't need any other reason to study Genesis. Simply put, it is the word of God, Al. That's the only reason I need to have to study Genesis or Nehemiah or Habakkuk or anything else in the word of God. And it's the word of God in which we are given all the necessary revelation to believe in him for eternal life. In Genesis is the gospel of Christ. 
And in fact, you'll see the entire gospel in Genesis 1 through 3. It doesn't start in Matthew when an angel appeared to a young lady called Mary. The gospel starts in the very first five words of Genesis, which we'll talk about next week. And so let's make sure that our theology, our understanding of God and of his purpose and of his ways is expanded to immensity, to immense proportions rather than to keep it in small categories of activity and of time. The gospel is proclaimed in Genesis 1 through 3. Not in verse, and not in chapter 3. It is 1 through 3 because in chapter 3, if you don't have 1 and 2, you don't know what's happening in 3. You don't understand the purpose, why, and so you've missed the gospel. You have to go back to the beginning, 1, and go all the way through at least 3 quarters of 3, or let's say through the entire third chapter, and you'll find the gospel there. And we'll find out what it is and how it is and where it is and explain that if you're not quite sure. So one of the challenges I would have for you is this. Find the gospel in the first three chapters of Genesis. Go read and find the gospel in the first three chapters of Genesis. You see, Genesis is the first book of what is called the five books of Moses or the Torah or the Pentateuch. Penta meaning what? Five. And so Genesis is just the beginning of this most basic collection of books. And in fact... If to the Jews there was one section of Scripture that is most basic and most sacred, and I don't know whether they did this, perhaps they did, they shouldn't, and we shouldn't either, but if there was something that was going to be considered the kerygma of their Scriptures, it would be the Pentateuch or the Torah. How often have some of us heard the Torah? And, and today in the, uh, in the synagogues, the, the scroll is open and the Torah is read. It's the central issue in Judaism, the first five books. Moses is normally considered the author of the Pentateuch. You remember in Luke chapter 24, 27, <clears throat> Jesus is walking, uh, these two fellows, or we don't know it's two fellows, but two disciples leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion, and they're going back to Emmaus where they had been, and they're kind of walking really dejected, and somebody shows up, and he says, hey, what's going on? He said, man, we, and they said, we're all upset. He said, upset about what? He says, the things that are going on. He, and Jesus says, what things? Are you crazy? Are you, uh, did you just come out of Mars? I mean, don't you know what has been going on the last few days in Jerusalem? Where have you been? And the Bible says, beginning with Moses, he revealed to them what a Sunday school class that was. He revealed to them, beginning where? Moses. Where does Moses begin? Genesis. Beginning with Moses, he revealed to them all the things that were written about himself. What a statement. Who, if I I could have been in that Sunday school class? Who? They didn't take notes that I found anyway. Can you imagine can you imagine what a class that would have been? You see, Genesis is not merely natural history. And we have to be very, very, very careful at this point. We have to be very careful not to look at Genesis as a historical book in and of itself and only that way. There is history there, obviously. 
But you see, the purpose of Genesis is not for the sake of history, just like the purpose of every other book in the Bible. It's not just for the purpose of history. Yes, there is history there because history contains the activities and the people and the function and all the related issues about God and about his gospel. These things occur in a historical context. They move along with people in time frames and in situations. But history isn't the essence. It isn't the focus. The focus of Genesis, as with every book of the Bible, is revelation about God. It is a spiritual lesson, a spiritual history. And one of the, one of the dangers that many believers fall into, they like to take, and I understand the propensity in this, they like to take the facts of a book of the Bible and begin to extrapolate and compare to other histories. And you're not going to be able to do that well. I mean, there's just so much to talk about here, but, and I, we have to confine ourselves. But just the genealogies, you know what I mean by the genealogies? This one begat that one, and this was a grandma, and there's a grandpa, and there's a great-grandma, and a great-grandgrandma, and going on around. Just the genealogies. Ancient man in those days, ancient people, unlike today, didn't have the necessity or the feel that they had to give a strict genealogy of every daddy, then the son, then the grandson. They would skip sometimes a, gen a generation, may skip a couple of generations. One may give a genealogical uh, 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 list this, on this way, including these folks. Another would give the same genealogical list, and they're not the same people. Oh, oh you see this error. <laughs> no. It's a misunderstanding, stupid, of what these people were doing and what the purpose of ancient literature is all about and what the purpose of God is. So when you look in Luke and you look in Matthew and you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find differences. You see, because you're going to find in Matthew that the Messiah was descendant from Solomon, the son of David, whose mama was Bathsheba. Then you're going to look in Luke and find that Jesus was descendant from David and through his son Nathan, the son of Bathsheba. Ah, can't be right, can't be, nope, wrong, wrong, you see. Can't believe the Bible. The purpose is different in the two. One traces the legal heir, the other traces the biological. You know, it, it's just different. God is not doing a scientific thing here. He's doing something much deeper, much deeper for us. You see, the history is from and about God. Genesis is from God, about God. It's about his purpose and ways, about man and his fallen, corrupt condition, about God's way of saving man from the wrath to come. That's what Genesis will begin to tell us. Genesis will raise more questions than any other book of the Bible, with the possible exception of Revelation. There have been more battles about the literacy and the literalness, rather, of Genesis and Revelation than any other books of the Bible, and probably Genesis preempts Revelation. 
And I'm talking about battles among believers. I'm not talking about the battles of the world. Who cares what the world thinks? Quite frankly, I don't care. I need to know. I need to understand. But they don't rock me, and they're not going to rock me. Do you understand that? What the world says, I will not be rocked by that world. Can you get that today for yourself? What the world says, do not be rocked by that world because God is greater than the world and all of his evidence. All kind of questions. I mean, come on. Six literal 24-hour days. (laughs) 900-year-old people. I mean, I'm 69. If I have to live... 900 more years, I'm going to be a real basket case. <laughs> what about serpents that talk? Are you kidding? Are you, you really kidding? This is myth, right? Did mankind really begin with Adam? You know, what about evolution? Was there really a flood and a boat and 16 people in the boat? Eight people in the boat. Nobody blink. Okay. I mean, who are these sons of God that had relations with these women? These become the issues for too many of us in Genesis. Now, there's, I think, a great deal of validity in understanding these questions and hopefully maybe even grappling with them and coming up with some answers to the imponderables of Scripture. But our primary aim is to discover God's intent in the text. And when we look at these texts, we must be very careful not to be sidetracked by any other issues. Now, this is critical. Because if we don't get this under our belt at this time, then as we go through, there's going to be something about your personal preference in this study that we may or may not handle or we may or may not handle your way. Can we be okay with that? I will begin by saying this, and I normally wouldn't say this, but I'll only say it to disabuse many of you or some of you from a from an opportunity of enemy, the enemy getting into you and disavowing what we'll teach. Personally, in the face of all contrary evidence from science and from the world, I believe in the literal words that I see. I believe this. I have no equivocation and make no room in my own belief system that what I read is exactly what God intends to communicate the way he communicates it and why, whatever, I believe it. I simply do. Can I rationalize the scientific information to the contrary? No, and neither can you. Oh, I know. I know that Ken Ham teaches we can do differently. And I appreciate his teaching. I really do. But I think when the bottom line is this, 
And here's what I would ask you to do. Would you stake your entire eternal life with God on the fact that you are absolutely, completely sure that you understand all of these answers, questions? I won't. I will stake my eternal life on one issue. Jesus Christ is Lord, died, buried, rose, ascended, sends the Holy Spirit, and I'm his child by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to heaven forever. That's what I stake my eternal life on. Everything else, significant, but doesn't begin to come to the place of significance. So for, for those of you who are in here, and I appreciate it. I appreciate your, your passion for what you want to do with the Word, to protect it. In fact, Evan and I had a, an extended conversation the other day about, well, what, how, you know, Adam, and if it weren't Adam, and what does that do to our theology, and, and this issue about these, these days or this, it's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge. I believe it. So you can just relax if you think, uh-oh, I'm going to be in a class where this guy is going to under, undermine everything. It's not, gonna, not in this class anyway. Go to another church if you want it undermined. We believe the Word of God. So I will say this. I would rather stand before the Lord one day and Him question me, Hey, I heard what you said about Genesis creation and the 11 chapters, you know, those giants and the flood and whatever. I, I heard what you said about that. I heard you said you believe me literally. I'd rather hear him say, Peter, you misunderstood than Peter, you disbelieved. Can I just say it that way? I'd rather be stupid, stupid than unbelief. But I believe it. I have no trouble in believing in a God who gives us literal information in the face of everything natural to the contrary. I have no trouble with that because I believe on that day when he shows us what's really going on, we're going to say, oh, thank God I trusted you rather than, oh, I didn't know that's what you were meaning. <laughs> so I'm not going to debate six days, 12 days, 88 minutes, 14 I believe in six literal 24-hour days. I believe in a literal Adam and Eve. I believe in a literal talking serpent. I believe in a flood. I believe in a boat. I believe in old people. Thank goodness. <laughs> but most of all, I believe that Jesus Christ is in the center of this and he's coming back having delivered us from sin. That's what I believe mostly about this. And hopefully that's what we believe mostly about it. See, even though there are vast differences between the biblical and scientific accounts of the origin of the earth and the age of the earth and mankind, the fact of the matter is these issues will not be reconciled until Jesus returns. Can we get that today? None of us are going to reconcile this until Jesus returns, and then he may not even tell us. Can you imagine if he doesn't tell us? Man, we're going to be picking on him forever. Come on, you got to tell us. you got to tell us. Come on, you got to tell us. I don't know. He may not even tell us then. You see, our aim is not to repudiate what science believes. Believes it knows. 
my aim in here is not to repudiate what science believes it knows or thinks it knows. You notice the way I said it? I didn't say it knows. It believes it what? Listen to the language. It believes it knows. I didn't say what it does know. But our aim is to discover God's intent in the text as he uses a variety of literary genre, you know, poetry, allegory. You, you know what these things are? You ever read literature in high school and remember that? Okay. I mean, everything in the Word of God is not to be taken literally. I mean, when Jesus says, I am the door, I don't think that's literal, do you? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's what? That's literal. Listen to this comment by one of the commentators that I'm looking at. There can scarcely be another part of Scripture over which so many battles, theological, scientific, historical, and literary, have been fought, or so many strong opinions cherished. And please hold your opinions strongly, but biblically, but in humility. Strongly passionate about the Word, biblically based in the Word, but humbly because you could be wrong. And in fact, the, the real reality is every one of us in this room are wrong in some area of scriptural understanding. Amen? Can you say hallelujah? Yes. And I'll show you that in a moment if you don't believe me. The very fact, this fact about this, these strong opinions over the years is a sign of the greatness and power of the book and of the narrow limits of both our foreknowledge, a fact of our knowledge and our spiritual grasp. So let's remember that the Genesis, that Genesis uses terminology and it uses descriptions that are from another era and from another culture. You know, except for Curtis, none of us were back there in the ancient days. You see, Curtis, well, you had your 80th birthday last week. We got to pick on you. Congratulations again. You know, and, and Genesis is being communicated into a different culture than ours, and it's not easily discerned by us today. Not too long ago, I was using the word icebox at home. I just said icebox. My daughter, granddaughter Emily said, Papa, what's an icebox? <laughs> now, what's an icebox? I was conveying a thought, a concept. I wasn't making a scientific comment about a box made of ice. We laugh about that, but we do that in Genesis often. Right? I've often used the word, or maybe not as much lately because I'm forgetting it, but Victrola. How many of you know what a Victrola is? Come on. Wow, there are more goofy people in here than I thought. <laughs> Grandmother had a Victrola. The, this machine, you have a big crank on it, you crank it up, you put the a, a record. Record is a big CD, right? And you put the, uh, you know, the needle on it, big old thing, and it had a big old speaker thing coming out of the top. It's called a Victrola. We used to listen to the Victrola. Today we call them CDs. But you see, if I'm communicating and I said something about the Victrolas on the icebox, seriously, a lot of the young people today would not get anything that I said out of that. Do you realize that's true, isn't it? Just go home and some of your kids that don't know these and say, Pastor Peter talked about the Victrola being on the icebox. <laughs> is that, what's wrong? I'm communicating to a culture in terminology that they understand and that many others don't, so we have to kind of decipher this stuff. Let's do that with Genesis. 
And let's make sure of one critical issue. If there is disagreement among us, <clears throat> except for the centrality of Christ, if there is disagreement or misunderstanding or equivocation about some of these things among us, we dare not, for the sake of the honor and glory of God, we dare not allow those things to become issues of disunity and disruption and antagonism and, de and, and not debating in a good sense, but arguing and separation. That, to God, is worse than if you had the wrong understanding of the days of the flood. Let us not do that. Many churches have been divided, and the honor of God has been besmirched because of battles over these issues. And you may say, yeah, but you can't believe it. No. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stand on one fact. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and dead and buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy Catholic or universal church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's believe the Apostles' Creed. Now, if those of you who haven't heard that, then maybe we need to do a better job with you. When the Bible says the four corners of the earth, remember all those wars years ago, the earth is flat? Is it speaking metaphorically or is it speaking literally? The four corners of the earth. Because... See, what those people failed to see is in Revel Isaiah 11, 12 and Revelation 7, 1, it talks about the sphere or the orb of the world, the globe. Now, how did those people know that? Well, God told them that. But So these are terminologies and these are words and um, references that convey meanings. The four corners of the earth means what? Not that the earth is flat, but that God's rule extends over the entire world, collecting it all unto himself. He is the sovereign. That's what that's all about. <clears throat> you see, Genesis is shrouded in mystery, and it's going to be. So I don't know in your notes, but here are several scriptures you need to take down if you don't have them. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Is that in your notes? Huh? Okay, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The deep things belong to the Lord. And he tells you, if I haven't revealed it, forget it. Secondly, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I don't have the same thoughts to you, and my ways are not your ways. Mine are higher, yours are low. Then from the Apostle Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 13, he says what? We, what? We, meaning himself also. We know in part. We only have partial information. And then in verse 12, he says we're seeing through a smoky mirror. It's not clear. And in fact, in Romans 11:33, after having given those three chapters, especially of 9, 10, and 11, concerning the sovereignty of God, Paul stands there and he says, the unsearchable riches of God, he says, beyond this understanding. I don't get it. I know it's true. I just told you. I just don't get it. Can we be comfortable with mystery? Can we be comfortable with not knowing? Can we be comfortable with not understanding everything? Can we or not, church? 
can we be comfortable with this of knowing and understanding and experiencing what god gives us about himself to know understand and experience amen and let us not go beyond that let us be very careful now should we seek to gain answers to these many questions well, certainly absolutely study study read you see we need to seek though when we seek for answers with a motive that keeps the main issue the main issue if your desire and your purpose is to get an answer so you can be shown to be right and demolish the argument of the other person or you know I'm gonna get then that's pride seek to have God's purpose in your mind listen to what James 4 3 says <clears throat> You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. But if you were seeking to know and understand God and his ways in a greater way, seek. If your purpose is to get a better argument over somebody else, I would stay away from that. If you want to know more, seek. If you want to understand God better, seek. If you want to be a worshiper of God in a greater way, seek. But don't seek for the purpose of winning an argument or demolishing a foe don't do that James says that's double-minded now have I indicated to anybody that we should be dumb about the word anybody getting that or we should be blind people kind of going wherever no we need to be godly intelligent informed men and women of God in whom the Holy Spirit lives so Genesis two parts first part first 11 chapters and second part 12 through 50 those are the two major sections of Genesis, if you would. The first part, why study it? It's the doctrinal foundation, not only of the next section, but in Genesis 1 through 11, you will find all the major doctrines of the Bible. If you're wanting to understand anything doctrinally or theologically to a root system, where it comes from and why and what's really going on here, or more than just the surface, you need to go back into the first 11 chapters of Genesis. You will have references all over the place in the Old Testament, but the first 11 chapters are the place where you will find the root of what it is that we're talking about and the root of everything else. Out of these chapters come the great tree of the rest of the Bible, even the New Testament and especially the New Testament. Major doctrines, I have them listed here for you. You can look at those. And then I have questions for next week. Please read, outline it, and look at it. Try to get a grasp, study, whatever you want to. We'll come next week and we'll begin to look and see this. Next week, we're going to begin to see the most startling, the most revolutionary, the most astounding revelation about God himself that is in no other place except in the Bible, and it's begun in Genesis. It is the most unique thing about God. So come next week prepared. Thank you so much for coming. Bring in your friends Many should be in here. We'd like to see this room bulging with people. See you next week. Thank you.